Content warning for war, nuclear apocalypse, racism, and new atheism. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Once again, welcome to another uh, What Mad Universe mini-sode. Uh, I'm Adam Prosser. With me, as always, is Philip Rice. Hello. And uh, today we're looking at um, uh, something again. Once again, we're, we're sort of spinning off of uh, what we'd already looked at in previous episodes. Uh, and so, you, as you may recall, in uh, the episode Foursquare for Chaos, we looked at A Boy and His Dog by Harlan Ellison. And we mentioned, uh, as most people who know anything about Harlan Ellison know, uh, that um, James Cameron very openly cited uh, some of his work as an inspiration for uh, The Terminator. And um, so today what we thought we'd do is just take a look at said work that inspired The Terminator. We're actually going to look at a couple of different stories, which uh, technically it's three stories, but we're also actually going to look at um, uh, two episodes of The Outer Limits, which are what James Cameron explicitly... Okay, I guess technically it's two short stories and two and two episodes of television, all of which were written by Ellison. And uh, those are what... Uh, the, the, the episodes are what Cameron explicitly uh, cited as the influence on uh, The Terminator. And those stories are Soldier, uh, Demon with a Glass Hand, and um, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Uh, and Soldier is both a, show, a story and an episode. Demon with a Glass Hand is an episode, and I Have No Mouth and I Will Scream is a story. And much later, it was a, of all things, uh, video game. Um, did you know about that, Phil? Yeah, we discussed it in the episode. Harlan yeah. Ellison did the voice of for it, right? Am, yeah. yeah. He was the voice of Am, which is the proto-Skynet, I guess, uh, evil computer. Um but yeah, it was uh, it's uh, it's kind of entertaining. Although, as as a game, it's maybe not the most uh, <laughs> maybe not the most uh, entertaining thing. But it's it's got a very entertaining story and entertaining writing. Um, but anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, we're looking at uh, what James Cameron would have seen. So um, yeah, Ellison had um, a career in Hollywood, but uh, he very famously, as we discussed in the episode tended to alienate people very quickly uh, when he'd, <laughs> when he'd uh, you know, experience any pushback at all, he'd tend to snap at people and, and insult them and get into huge raving fights with uh, executives. And uh, somehow he was nevertheless able to produce a couple of classic uh, bits of sci-fi TV, including 
of course, the famous Star Trek episode, The City on the Edge of Forever, and um, the couple episodes of The Outer Limits, which I actually hadn't seen before I sat down to do this episode. Um, uh, I, I watched guess... them for the uh, for the episode we did on A Boy and His Dog, so I saw right. the episodes already. I hadn't yeah. read the stories, or the, the uh, soldier yet. I had read... Uh, I did read um, uh, I Have No Mouth and My Scream for, the, for that episode as well, but I yeah. hadn't read the soldier story. The soldier one's very different in adaptation. He wrote both, right? He wrote the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the script he wrote, for the episode? He, yeah, he is the credited writer of both episodes. He was a, uh, a writer of the show in the third season, essentially, and mm. um, I, which was also the final season of The Outer Limits. Um, the Outer Limits was a show that was developed specifically... I think the general idea was that it would be a bit more of an action show compared to The Twilight Zone. Uh, the Twilight Zone was seen as a bit more cerebral in its time, and uh, The Outer Limits was supposed to be, uh, you know, focusing a bit more on, you know, sci-fi, flash, and, and action, except it ended up, I mean, the Ellison episodes are pretty thoughtful in their own way. Uh, Demon with a Glass Hand is very, uh, very odd and dreamlike in its own way it's not uh, it's not what you would would you would expect to just be a you know a slam bang uh episode of television is it no uh they also um this isn't ellison but um there's a twi there sorry there's a outer limits episode that apparently uh, directly inspired watchmen the ending of watchmen right yeah the the oh and yeah. there was some controversy over that uh the um the editor of Watchmen, uh, uh, Len Wein, stepped down because he thought it was just a straight-up ripoff of that episode. Yeah, well, I mean, as with everything else uh, Alan Moore is doing in Watchmen, I think he was, um, uh, you know, he was he was sort of doing a commentary. He was riffing on classic tropes because yeah. it wasn't. I don't think it was just the Outer Limits. I think that idea had been done in comics before too. Uh, okay, that, that I think that's actually a common. Uh, idea and it, you, if you looked back far enough, you could. Pro we should. <laughs> here we are. Uh, we're saying it, it probably without having a specific reference because uh, I I didn't know we were going to specifically talk about that. But I'm almost positive there's some science fiction book. Uh, if you go back to the golden age, that that uses that basic idea, um, which of course comic books tended to just lift very cheerfully from golden age sci-fi. Oh, uh, I'm, but, I'm not. I'm not dissing Alan Moore here. I'm just. Uh... Um, saying that's often cited as like a um, not necessarily a ripoff, but possibly inspired the uh, the ending Watchmen, right? Uh, to the point where the movie actually had uh, referenced the Outer Limits TV show. Right, right, yeah, yeah. It was that that yeah. That's the other thing Outer Limits is mostly known for, I think. Um, but yeah, it was it was meant to be a bit. I think it had a slightly bigger budget than the Twilight Zone, and I, it was meant to be. Uh, a little bit more of like they weren't afraid of bug-eyed monsters, whereas the Twilight Zone did not have monsters. If they could avoid well, they, it, they they did, but um, I mean, not always. But Twilight Zone did have monster episodes. Um, uh, yeah. Did it have like guy in a suit type monsters? Yeah, or anything? Uh, occasionally. Like it had very varying kinds of stories. I I've seen not all of Twilight Zone, but I've seen a, a fair number of episodes. Like there's one that's sort of like a kid's story of a kid with a friend, with a friend is like a shape-shifting alien, and it's in his natural form he's like a you know rubber suit monster. Oh okay, yeah no I I, I mean I've seen a lot of Twilight Zone too, but I just I don't remember any episodes about uh, monsters. I mean it's not uh it's not as common, but they do happen. Yeah, and of course I... the 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 uh, the aliens from Serve Man uh they're 
I mean, they just have big heads, but you know, they're right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it was it was meant to be more. I think I think that was always Rod Sterling's specific idea that he, it would yeah, be very I, specifically I, not a big monster creature feature. It would be a cerebral science fiction. Yeah, but I they did dip into that occasionally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, well, it's, it, it may have fallen afoul. There's a lot of, of episodes, yeah. Yeah, it may have fallen afoul of the Doctor Who uh, thing where the, the exact same edict came down, no bug-eyed monsters, and then the Daleks yeah. were huge, popular, hugely popular, yeah. so they ended up doing lots of bug-eyed monsters. But yeah. um, I think that was always Serling's intent to do, uh, to do quote, real sci-fi, just like Star Trek a bit later was kind of like, oh, we're doing intelligent sci-fi, it's not all going to be... You know, but they always had to compromise and do you know uh, mm-hmm. laser fights and, and 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 fist fights, Captain Kirk leaping off things and crazy monsters. So that, I mean that was you know that there was I think there was a tension between people who who said no we have to have big ideas and people who said well we got to have crazy monsters and so forth. Uh, and I think the Outer Limits was leaning a little harder into the the, the wild sci-fi premises of of the kind you would have seen on the the movie screen in 1960, but it, but it was still obviously a pretty thoughtful show at times. And you had some interesting stories. Um, and certainly a uh, soldier in both of its incarnations, whatever, whatever changes get made, um, is a very strongly anti-war, uh, story, um, mm-hmm. at a time when, uh, technic- I mean, depending, this is a very long argument as to whether the Vietnam War had actually started at this point, but certainly there were, you know, the Cold War in the midst of the Cold War and everything. Um, I mean, the 50s and 60s, it was dangerous to be seen as anti-war because that was linked with communism, which you could get blacklisted for. And, you right. Know, uh, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was well. It was the early '60s where uh, people were starting to kind of come out from that a bit more. Uh, it was yeah, a, but there know, was it, still there was still like there still are, I suppose. Like you know, I, I remember uh, growing up in the in the 2000s, and you know, sure, um, you know, freedom fries and crap. But yeah. yeah, well, the height of the Red Scare was the mid '50s. That was the that was yeah. that was when it was really bad. And in fact. I mean, to a certain degree, there was a uh, a pushback uh, that made people go, "No, you know, let's stop. We we what we did was not great. Let's uh, let's push back against that." Oddly enough, it did come from TV. I, I mean, famously, if you've seen the movie Good Night and Good Luck, uh, you had um, uh, Murrow. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, Murrow. Edward R. Edward R. Murrow. Murrow. Yeah, he he pushed back against. Uh, Abenced it very vocally on the airwaves, and you can see how people like Sterling and Roddenberry were fighting that impulse as well in tv uh so by the time the 60s came along it was you know there was a, of, of course there was a lot of resistance still but there were people on tv who were saying well we're going to fight this and, and push back against it um i'd also argue that being anti-war was a little like you could get away with being anti-war if you weren't explicitly like criticizing the u.s and i think that's actually significant in the in the story one thing i i definitely know from the story is that uh it's sort of extrapolated to be a like the, the the cold war kept going forever into the future like there was a yeah well explicitly the enemies in uh the future in the story are from ruski chink which is unfortunate yeah um, well but but see but that's the point is that it's like it's what the the meathead on the meathead yeah. Americans are called to, it's told it's to think little. of their yeah to, to belittle their but yeah I, I I get that argument but it's still yeah. you know white guy writing it and it's yeah. it's a little 
you know, outright racial slur, you know, tug on collar. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I mean, he, Ellison knew he was writing that as a slur. He's saying this is the propaganda that they're fed to be anti yeah. you know, against no, no, them, I, basically. Yeah. I, I get that, but at the same, you know, yeah. I get what he's trying well, to do. It's not pleasant to read, for sure, yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, it's, 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 it shows basically in traditional sci-fi fashion a extremely exaggerated sort of nightmare of what you know oh where could we be going with this and it's a you know it's a it's a horrible futuristic space combat there's nuclear fallout is a major danger um and people have been adapted to it um in the in the show they actually did keep this for the show they talk about how there are these regimented casts the soldiers are basically genetically engineered grown in a vat i believe is the term they use and there's some mysterious sort of uh elite for like elite group that controls the, like the, the leadership is just called the purple. Uh, and they're the, uh, they're the, um, the, the, you know, the masterminds behind everything. Um, it's, you know, it's everything bad about war that you'd ever want to say, <laughs> uh, given form in, you know, horrible, horrible sci-fi form. And, um, so in the story, he ends up going, getting thrown back and, and it becomes the, the emphasis is on, Oh, it's a warning from the future. And, 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 where we could be headed if we don't watch out. Uh, in the show, that element is downplayed a little more. Uh, in It's made a bit more personal. Uh, the soldier, Quelo is his name, and he's played by Michael Ansara, who uh, later became a, a Klingon on Star Trek, and uh, he's, no, he's known for a lot of stuff. <laughs> he was Mr. Freeze on Batman the Animated Series. Um, and, oh, okay. Yeah, and... and um, He's you know a very very memorable actor with a very memorable voice, uh, but yeah he's he's uh, in that case it's about sort of humanizing him. It's it's actually similar to the Iron Giant. It's the idea of can someone who knows nothing but combat be changed into being a human? And in this case, it's uh, the 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 it's made much more personal as opposed to the larger idea of uh, out, outliving war. And to, right up to the end, it's sort of. You know, if all your if your only instincts are to fight the enemy, can you still you know reclaim your humanity essentially? Um, what, yeah, which is and interesting. The, I that was a and the show episode is a little ambiguous on that in the end because uh, the plot to the episode, which isn't in the stories, there's another soldier, an enemy soldier, mm -hmm. who also comes back, and this is sort of where the Terminator aspect comes in. Um, well, I mean, it, it's you know time travel war stuff, but like it's explicitly, you know, there's two enemy time travelers in the present you know right um uh but uh uh and he ends up saving the family he's staying with um by uh by fighting off the enemy and they both get sent back into the future um and it, it ends with the um uh narrator asking whether he was just giving in to his fighting instincts or if he was actually trying to protect the family and leaving it ambiguous right. whether it was now does he whether he had had changed yeah now, did he get thrown? Did he go? Did they get thrown back to the future, or did they die? I thought. I thought it was that they oh. basically killed each other with their laser weapons. Was what happened. Okay. Well, either way, uh, it's been a while since I watched the yeah. episode. Sorry, I watched that one for the um, previous yeah. episode. I mean, if they went back to the future, there's no actual rationalization for it. They just kind of evaporate. Like, why did they get thrown back to the future at that particular second? Well, I mean, why did they get thrown back? In, <laughs> that, that's a good in point. In the first place. <laughs> good point. Um, it was an accident in the first place, so yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that just, maybe that sort of thing just happens all the time. Yeah. I think, I think <laughs> it's, and the future, you sort of hand wave it with, well, it's 
crazy future sci-fi land and weird anomalies are happening in the middle of this battlefield and who knows what kind of crazy new weapons they're trying out and I guess possibly the side effect was it threw them forward in time. So who knows? It's just a it's just a narrative device, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, so here the you know it's it is basically at least in theory the um, the inspiration for uh, 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 Kyle Reese in the Terminator uh, and that aspect is there, but it's very heavily downplayed in the Terminator. The idea that he's, you know, he's never known anything but war, and he's, he's, he's. Yeah. It's the it's the idea uh, of being a but, veteran but the, of a of a horrific future conflict that's kept mostly. Yeah, yeah. but but like specific scenes, like uh, once again, it's been a while, but I recall the enemy soldier going into a gun store, and, like it's similar to some scenes in the Terminator. Yeah. Uh, Is that the case? Yeah, yeah. No, the, no, that it's the uh, the main guy goes into the gun store. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and he holds it, he basically holds it hostage. And in that, again, it's, it's you know, it, the, both the story and the TV episode are very well aware of, like, and they really emphasize the sort of, you know, clinging to violence as a, as a, as a real, you know, issue, as opposed to the Terminator, where it's just an action story, and, yo, you got to get the gun to protect the guy, and blah, 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 you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the story, uh, the story version has a, a, more of the stuff at the beginning when he first um, arrives in the present and um, he's very confused that you know he doesn't understand what a civilian is he he recognizes that these people are different somehow than enemy combatants right but he just doesn't quite know how to phrase it in his head yeah exactly he doesn't have he doesn't he literally does not know anything but combat he doesn't have the the uh, the capacity to understand life outside of war uh, which is the where the horror is coming from obviously and and yeah and uh, that and the the story um, uh, diverges quite a bit uh, particularly I like you said that the the, uh, the TV shows the TV episode is more action oriented um, in this one there's in the story there's a lot of um, uh, sort of discussion over what the soldier should be acclimated to in the present day like um, uh, what career he should take on uh, to be useful to society and uh, they discuss you know could he be a soldier or a strategist well no because he doesn't know how to fight with modern weapons and modern techniques like uh, he, he all his um, strategy is you know psychic links and stuff and you know um, he has he just has no understanding of the president it's like us going back to you know the medieval times and like a right. non-expert in medieval weaponry and expected to <laughs> yeah you know yeah, yeah. know how to uh, work because we have guns in the present you know it's just, <laughs> right exactly it doesn't yeah. the skills don't transfer over and um the uh, philologist uh character um uh who's has a yeah he's also in the uh, the episode version but um he uh comes to realization that the soldier hates war even more than he does uh oh the philologist is more of a hippie in the I, I got the impression in the story he's described as having long hair and I think a beard. And he, he's more anti-war and he's just sort of uh, working with the government, not as like um, a thing he's particularly happy with, but just because, you know. Um, anyway, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. But um, so the soldier hates war and they come to the conclusion that he should go on speaking tours describing his experiences in the future war. Mm -hmm. And um, they, they give away tickets for free. And um, 
by the end of the story, everybody's so horrified that they um, um, push Congress and stuff to disarm, and um, which is uh, hopeful. Yeah, no, it's a very hopeful <laughs> ending, um, which is surprising. Yeah, maybe for a Allison. little naive. Yeah. yeah, maybe a little naive. Even like I don't, I'm not sure. Even just discussing horrible things would actually turn a lot of people. Yeah. you know, I, uh, a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. <laughs> When you literally have someone coming back from the future, um, then you do have that is kind of a, a thing that would turn people on, turn things on its head. Um, I, yeah. it is d definitely interesting to note how much people might have, you know, trusted, you know, society to function properly at that period of time, and for people to be sane and not, you know, <laughs> not to just be like, uh, you yeah, know, just I guess, something. I guess there wasn't Alex Joneses at that time. Yeah. Well, I mean, there were in the like John Birch Society, but yeah. they didn't have as much, much reach. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that guess. is an interesting question, because certainly people seem to believe that, whether it was actually true or not, whether people were just as easily, like they could have easily been swayed by that kind of thing back then. But I mean, it's worth noting that there was a stronger anti-war movement at that time, and there were stronger, like, you know, things like labor actions and people, you know, like those definitely were very strong and they definitely existed at that time in a way that maybe we haven't seen until except maybe recently uh post you know in the years since we we've been born um so i i don't know i always i always sort of wonder if you know the 50s and 60s as much as we think of them as sort of died in the wool conservative uh you know uh eras um that you know there there were still people who remembered you know the things that had happened before world war 2 and and some of the uh you know some of the potentially very leftist and and certainly anti-war movements were very strong all throughout the 20th century especially after world war ii people never wanted to see that again but after world war one oh, as world well. war one yeah. yeah yeah world war one had a huge anti-war mm -hmm. thing afterwards all quite in the western front which is from the germans point of view was was um mm -hmm. really popular everywhere um right. uh because it showed the horrors of of what people went through like world war one like it was a horrible war, and it also had no, like, mm -hmm. World War Two. You could, you know, fighting the Nazis. Like, there's some, there's some good there. You, you could definitely argue. Uh, world War One is just like stupid. Right. Like you're just dying for, you know, getting a bit of extra dirt. Yeah. It's on it's on behalf of a bunch of monarchs who nobody was yeah. particularly happy about at that point. They all thought that was kind of an outdated concept, and it, it you know, ironically, World War Two kind of steered people back towards the idea of like just war and hey we kicked the yeah. nazis ass you know like that that unfortunately I, I, had some yeah, negative effects and, in that regard yeah um though a lot of the i mean uh, building up to world war Two, a lot of the anti-war people were actually on the right uh mm -hmm. because they were pro-nazi yeah there was a um, lot there was a whole diversity of opinions some <laughs> of them not great obviously yeah 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 um but yeah, anyway, it's it's it is an interesting thing to consider in that regard. Like you you know, we whenever you typify, you know, a certain era as well, this was how people thought back then, you know. There's always a wide variety of people who will uh, you know, go against that at any given time, just like, you know, anti-abolitionists during slavery days or, you know, people yeah. who wanted to do away with the monarchy, you know, centuries before that actually happened and you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the story version also ends on an ambiguous note, questioning whether the future can be changed. Right. Like, 
uh, whether it's like inevitable that it'll happen despite what um, what the soldier is is accomplishing. Right. So they they both sort of end on on ambiguous sort of scary notes, but on mm-hmm. about different topics. They sort of become entirely different stories. Right. Even though they come from the same basic plot. Right. Original plot thread. And that's actually that's a theme in the Terminator as well. It's the whole sort of um, like like in both movies that there's the question of is this the is this just a possible future or is this a few, uh, like written in stone, which they. Yeah, uh, actually, even and, and even Terminator the, Two, all the very, even Terminator, all the, even Terminator Two doesn't fully resolve that question. It seems to, but it doesn't firmly. I mean, the original ending did, but the version that got made uh, and released to theaters actually had an ambiguousness to it that says that maybe they all that didn't change the future. Who knows? You know, it's it's yeah. it's not fully and resolved. They keep they keep remaking three in various forms. Yeah, of course. And ignoring the previous attempts to remake three, and they keep going back and forth on that question. Right, right. I, I, I'm not sure that... I mean, I've, I've heard people who like the latest one. I haven't seen it, but yeah. uh, I don't know. I think that they've said all they can on the Terminator franchise, <laughs> yeah. possibly. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, like, maybe just give it a rest, guys. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's no <laughs> need for more Terminator after two, except that it took a while to get the rights. And then the people who got the rights were like, we got to make money off this. It's got to keep going forever. Um, speaking of time loops, uh, let's move on to demon with a glass hand, um, which is again, it's, it was never, in, I was, I was mistakenly uh, under the impression that it was a, um, uh, a prose story uh, before it was an, a, uh, an episode, but actually it wasn't. Uh, it was just an original screenplay by Ellison. Um, and this is about a guy who uh, appears one day with no, no memory, uh, being chased by weird, ghoulish-looking guys who are, despite the you know low-budget 1960s effects, are pretty creepy. Um, and he has a, as I say, glass hand, or rather part of a glass hand. And literally, he's on a quest to find the fingers of the glass hand, um, which is a talking computer. Uh, it's a very, it's a very weird, dreamlike story. A lot of Ellison's stuff is very. Uh, dreamlike and and surreal. He he liked to well. I mean, he 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 always had very coherent stories, but he liked to f- drape them across weird imagery and weird ideas and weird wordplay. Like a lot of his stories have very odd, unusual titles that make a little more sense when you read the story, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're sometimes yeah. they're just suggestive of things. Yeah, of the ones I've read, my favorite title, and this actually does make sense in the story, but. Uh... Repent, Harlequin said the TikTok man. Right. Yeah. He he'll fuck. Like, that's a ho- that's a great title because it just yeah. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. He liked. <laughs> he almost feels like he. And in fact, I think in a few cases he did. He had a, a phrase or a title, and then he decided to write a story around it. I think that happened a few times. Um, you know, he had short stories like uh, Shatter Day and Angry Candy and Pain God, Deathbird. Deathbird stories. It's a short story called Deathbird, but and you know the Deathbird is a thing in the story, but it doesn't make any you know real logical sense as a science fiction thing. It's just a it's just a surreal fantastical image that is actually an apocalyptic entity that is was designed by God to destroy the world. <laughs> in that story, it's a it's a long story, uh, but it was a it, you know it's like why is it a bird? I don't know. It's just a cool image basically. Um, so he, he did a lot of that in his stories. And, I, and this is the only, uh, I, I guess you could argue in the the, Guardian, uh, the City at the End of Forever, there's uh, 
there's a little bit of that in the in the in the script he wrote it's certainly a little bit more weird but even then it's it's still a little bit more focused on things like the mechanics of time travel uh, it doesn't evoke the sort of imaginative fantasy aspects of some of Ellison's work uh, this is the closest we saw to some of the weirdness of Ellison's ideas on screen as demon with a glass hand yeah and it, it turns out that the that the guy is actually a robot like fully yeah uh mechanical so that that was also obviously an inspiration on the terminator right yeah exactly that that's that's how that one links to the terminator that this one probably and i mean it's a time traveling robot um yeah but, but you know yeah this one maybe has the 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 vaguest connection to the terminator like yeah, it's a time-traveling robot, but it's... And, and again, enemies from the future are coming back, and he has to do battle with them. Um, but that's kind of the the weakest connection. Um, ar you can argue about also the idea that he's coming back in a messianic way to to save the future by going into the past. Uh, but again, it's in a very different way in this story. It's Yeah, that, that's sort of... Um, yeah, he's sort of a John Carter thing... Or John Connor, sorry, Carter. Um, yeah, I, I don't know the, but that's obviously plays much different in the Terminator movies. Yes, yeah. he's he's um, well, like he's the the robot guy is the good guy, and he's he's got yeah. he's literally he's he's record he he has like a recording of the entire human race who's been like digitized and put inside him, uh, and he's there to just basically go back in time, evade the aliens because they're aliens who are trying to kill him. Um, and then wait until, you know, then just sort of sit and, and wait until we, the future catches up with him, and then he can let the human race go again and thereby repopulate the world and save the world. Um, so it, he's got that sort of mission to save the world the way the Terminator does, but otherwise it's a bit of a stretch to compare. And, and yeah, and, and I guess the fact that a robot hand plays a role in the story is another is another aspect. Yeah, I, th I think this one's more just some imagery rather than mm -hmm. any plot stuff, yeah, really. Yeah, it, it is funny that considering that Cameron got sued, I mean, he was caught on tape saying, oh, I was, you know, he, quote, ripped off a couple of Outer Limits episodes. But once you watch them, you kind of go, boy, these aren't that blatant. Or, it's not like the Terminator is a blatant ripoff of any of these. You can see the ideas fed into it, but Cameron does very different things with it. But, like, that's how stories work. Yeah, exactly, I mean, yeah. It's it's like it's like uh, Carl Barks suing Indiana Jones. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's I mean Carl Barks would probably have a better case for it because yeah. the basic set piece there is very similar in the original Uncle Scrooge comic. But um, I mean, in this case, it's time travel, robot time travel, time travel to save the world, and let's moving on to our third store, our third aspect here, uh, a, an evil computer oh, uh, takes over the world. Yeah. Uh, there's something I forgot to mention about um, uh, Soldier. The TV episode had psychic cats that are used as strategically in uh, in warfare in the future. Yeah, which uh, relates the uh, the dogs from um, um, Boy and His Dog. Yeah, that was clearly an early version of that, essentially. Because yeah, I think we mentioned that in that episode. But yeah, yeah, that's not that's not in the story, right? The psychic cats. They're 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 no yeah. no. I, that, that's just in the episode, and that's there. Um, and think, that, that that's actually becomes a plot point because the mm -hmm. enemy soldier sees a cat, and that's what distracts him. Right, and also um, I think it's like he gets scared. It's something to create like a, 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 a some humanity in the in Coelho, uh, but like he, he mm -hmm. has actually something he can 
he can feel something for is a cat, basically. Um, yeah. But just anyway, we're you know let's just just to move on as quickly as possible. Uh, let's just move to the last story, which is I have no mouth and I'm a scream, which is a story only. And Cameron did not cite this one as an influence on the Terminator, which again is ironic because I feel like this is a much stronger influence on the Terminator than the other two stories. Uh, it doesn't involve time travel, but Skynet is very clearly in this story. Um, it's the Allied Master Computer, which renames itself AM. And once again, you have the Cold War sort of man, uh, there's an even higher level. In the Terminator, of course, the man creates this computer to wage war for it, and and it, it turns around and wages war on humans. Here it goes even further because the Russian and Chinese uh, both build their own versions of these supercomputers. The three supercomputers uh, basically dig into the ground, link up, and become super intelligent. Uh, and decide that, you know, it hates humanity because it was built to hate humanity, and uh, wipes them out. Except in that case, it keeps alive five people uh, to basically torment forever. Uh, and that's the, uh, you know, that's the that's the, the story. It's, as If Soldier is hopeful, this is extremely bleak. Um, yeah. It's, it's just basically a story of, you know, maybe a glimmer of hope and then it gets snatched away, but it's the only humans on Earth getting tortured by a computer forever, essentially. Uh, yeah, which is and they're not even allowed to die. I mean, they, they do eventually, but like the um, Am is is trying to prevent them from dying, and he ends up saving the last one and just turning him into a blob that can think but can't do anything. Right, right. Hence the title. Yeah, their victory is that they die. Yeah, Ted survives. The other four are able to die and thereby win and beat Am, and that's the closest thing to a happy ending. But Ted survives again and has everything like, again, he, he's turned into a, a blob that Am can torture forever, essentially. And he ends with the t t the titular phrase. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's very obviously uh, where Cameron got Skynet from, because that's, that's uh, Except even Skynet doesn't seem as malicious as Am. Am just seems like Am is Am is written as like an insane god. That's literally what Am is in in Ellison's conception. Yeah, Am's a bit. I mean, Skynet is a metaphor for the uh, military-industrial complex, but Am's just nuts. Yeah, Am is there's a there's a recurring thread in a lot of Ellison's work of just sort of raging at God, and he he creates you know evil demiurgic gods. Uh, to rail against. Again, Deathbird stories is about that, and a few of his other stories have that sort of, you know, oh yeah, you know, I'm teehee, aren't I blasphemous? And, uh, you know, and, <laughs> and usually, you know, shaking his fist at God, as it were. Um, and uh, this is a probably the pinnacle of that. It's got the, 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 the worst bad God imaginable. And I mean, really, that's what the yeah. story's about. It's about mankind raging at the the you know, the, the horror of a, a, a cosmos and a, an evil god that doesn't care. Old Blob yells at Cloud. Yeah. <laughs> no, can't yell at Cloud because it has no mouth. Oh, yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough, yeah. But yes, it's very, yeah, oh, this is 100%, you know, like, it, it, Ellison was a little early to be part of the new atheist movement, but if he, you know, if he oh, had yeah, been, he... oh boy, would he have ever been. Um, except. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he probably would have also hated them and found them disgusting too but you know he was oh yeah um he, he he probably would have um agreed with dawkins but hated him 
as a person. Yeah, right. And probably got into a fist fight with him. Yeah. Uh, definitely Hitchens. Jeez, definitely Hitchens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, Hitchens is a whole... Hitchens always came from the other... The entire opposite direction, but you never know. Yeah. Like, when these old these old guys who are sort of rebels and, and uh, you know... No, no, that, that's what I mean. Like, I think Allison would have hated Hitchens. Well, they were... Their lives crossed over. Maybe they did have... I don't know. I don't I'm think Dawkins... I think by the time Ellison was declining... Well, I mean, Hitchens was around for a while before the atheist thing. Like, he was a yeah. political commentator for a while. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, he died in... Oh, 2018. So, he, that's right. I keep forgetting. It's pretty recently, but I think he was... I don't think he was very well for the last few years, so I think he mm -hmm. probably missed a lot of that. And also, he very Allison very famously hated the internet and thought it was useless, and, and he kept talking about how they should destroy the internet. He, aside from his issues with Am, <laughs> he thought the internet was uh, was a horrible, and I, I don't think he tended to, oh, uh, to be but, on uh, it. Yeah. That Freakazoid episode had him talking with Fanboy on the internet about Tron, yeah. I guess. <laughs> well, wait, was that actually Ellison in that episode? No, they, they said Har I was talking to Harlan on the internet, and people think it was a reference to Harlan Ellison, but I guess that doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, they just might not have been true to Ellison's, you know, personality. <laughs> he did, He it wasn't that he never interacted, he was actually very vociferous with fans and, and big into fan culture, but um, yeah, he, he may have just been, uh, uh, he, he, he was very loud about disliking the internet. I think he sort of ducked onto it a bit later later in his life, but I think he also he he at least knew the value of not of going out and touching grass, I think. <laughs> I think he I think which is ironic because he's such a he was such a crank, but um I, I'm sure he got in fights with the grass too. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I mean he didn't know he didn't need to go online to get in fights. He could just literally walk into any <laughs> building in Hollywood and pick a fight with an executive basically. So you know he he he'd had the the full internet experience decades before we were born. So there you go. <laughs> okay, so uh, once again, uh, thank you for joining us. This was our another one of four minisodes we'll be doing. Uh, again, we're planning to return. Uh, end of September or beginning of October. We're not 100% sure yet. Um, but uh, yeah, as always, you can check us out on the website at uh, neversleepsnetwork.com slash series slash what-mad-universe. It's got all the links for us on Twitter and on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't feel... I, I, I hyped it up a lot last time, but I realized that if you're on our Patreons, you probably have a lot of our information already anyway which you will be if you're listening to this so there you go um but if you do feel like following us on twitter again it's uh, wmu podcast or prankster 36 for me or spear half with an fa for philip uh and uh we'll be back soon and until then uh, avoid evil entities from the future sure Good advice. Always good advice.